0: Let's just continue in prayer for a moment. May the grace of God, which we have received, and gratitude to God in all that we attempt for Him, be strengthened and deepened in our lives now as we seek to further understand and apply His word together. Amen. If you could open up your Bibles again at that reading uh, that Martin gave us just a few uh, verses from first letter of Peter and chapter 3 this was verses 8 to 12 and page 1219 in the in the Bibles. So uh, rich and so important is this vein that we are in in uh, this chapter, that in fact I'm only focusing just on one verse, and even then I am bitterly aware of all the things that will be left unsaid over the next uh, few minutes. But um, uh, that verse, in fact, is verse 8. We'll come to that in a moment. But we live our Christian lives under intense scrutiny. According to, at least hinted at, in chapter 1 and verse 12, if you glance at that, the angels have their eye on us and everything that the God has done for us and revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We are under the scrutiny of angels. According to chapter 3 and verse 12, the Lord himself um, has his eye upon the righteous he watches them, not only to observe them, but to guide them and guard them and protect them. And then in chapter 2, and verse 12, all very convenient, we are under the scrutiny of the world. And it seems to me that certainly this section of uh, Peter's epistle is to a large extent driven by the thought contained ...in chapter 2 and verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans... ...that though they accuse you of doing wrong... ...they may see your good deeds... ...and glorify God on the day he visits you. Now there are probably many things... uh, ...about God's people that... uh, ...interest the angels... ...that interest our Heavenly Father... ...that interest the world as far as the world is concerned, not least, what we'll get up to next in terms of the next scandal that can, uh, that can charm or excite the world. But it seems to me that one of the things that astonishes angels and delights God and convicts the world more than almost anything else is to see the followers of Jesus Christ living in harmony with one another. And so that takes us to verse 8, which is the, uh, the verse that I'd like us to focus our thoughts on over the next few minutes. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. And we have in this verse uh, something like the five fingers of a hand uh, sticking out, um, not completely different, but working together. Um, in order to give us a picture of what we might call the togetherness that uh, is part of Peter's vision for the followers of Jesus Christ. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Five things I'd like to just quickly comment on each of those in turn and then say a few further words by way of further application. You might think these five qualities are something like apple pie and fatherhood, topical reference there. Um, yeah, who could possibly be against things like living in harmony and sympathy and love and compassion and humility and so on? And yet they're not entirely straightforward. And in fact, not all of these qualities are even favoured by, in some secular circles. So they do take, I think, uh, a bit of unpacking. I'd like you to notice also, however, that this verse begins with an address, all of you. It may just be that if you've come along uh, of the last uh, Sunday evening or two and heard teaching that focuses on uh, masters and slaves and husbands and wives, you might have thought to yourself, well, I'm not any of those things, so um, it doesn't apply to me. But there's no getting away from it tonight. This is addressed to all of us. Let's look at these five qualities briefly in turn. Live in harmony with one another. Harmony. The word here means like-mindedness. Peter is referring to a unity of thought and purpose and action. There's many things we could say about this, but uh, one thing we might say is that it is, it is, of course, a unity in diversity. It's the kind of unity that a band of musicians will have, each playing a different instrument, each actually sounding a different note, but the sounds harmonising. Or it's the harmony of this beautiful um, uh, arrangement of flowers, They're different flowers, different colours, different shapes, and so on, but together arranged into a harmonious and beautiful whole. It's a unity in diversity. Paul has just, uh, Peter has just been speaking about rulers and subjects, slaves and masters, husbands and wives, and the church then and now is comprised of such disparate individuals bringing different personalities different gifts um, and so on and so forth and yet seeking to work together not so much in unison all saying and doing exactly the same thing but in harmony with one another and of course it's in this very diversity that we, we can run into trouble some of the time when we either demean our own gifts or those of others. Please don't be offended if I give you a children's illustration now. The Master Carpenter's Tools are holding a meeting. Harry Hammer leads the meeting, but several of the others suggest he has to leave because he's so noisy. Mr Hammer replies, if I have to leave this workshop... Sarah Screw must have to leave also. You have to turn her round and round to get her to do anything useful. Sarah Screw then speaks up. If you wish, I will leave. But Percy Plain must leave as well. All his work is on the surface. His efforts have no depth at all. And to this, Percy Plain responds Rachel Ruler will also have to withdraw because she's always measuring folks as though she were the only one who's right. Rachel Ruler then complains about Sammy's sandpaper. You know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> he ought to leave too, because he's so rough and always rubbing up people the wrong way. And in the middle of all of this, in walks the carpenter of Nazareth. He's arrived to start his day's work. Putting on his apron, he goes to the bench, bench and uses all of these tools. Harry Hammer, Sarah Screw, Percy Plain, Rachel Ruler... Sammy Sandpaper, and all of the others. And at the end of the day's work, Simon Saw stands up and remarks, Brothers and sisters, I observe that all of us are workers together with the Lord. More seriously and more deeply, but no more truly, I suppose, the Trinity, Trinity Sunday, is the ultimate model of unity in diversity. Is God one, or is he three? He is both. Jesus uh, spoke in John chapter 14 of um, another counsellor who would come after he had left. Another counsellor, one just the same as himself, and yet different. Jesus and his spirit are One and yet different. And then in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed that all of them, all of those who would follow, all would be one. Just, Father, Jesus prays, as we are one. Christian unity modelled on the unity in diversity that is found within the Godhead itself. That's a comment or two then, about harmony amongst God's people. But now, secondly, sympathy. Be sympathetic. It's a funny old word. If you come from the kind of background that I come from, which is a nursing, a healthcare background, then you will have been taught that sympathy is actually rather a bad thing. We don't do sympathy. We do empathy. Uh, Sympathy is about being sorry for people, and empathy is about getting alongside people and making an effort to gain some insight into their feelings and all that kind of thing. Now, if we're going to make that distinction, which I don't have a worry with, then Peter would have been talking, if the word had been available to him, about empathy. He's certainly not talking about simply feeling sorry for people. So if you want to read empathy there, I'm perfectly happy with that. and I think Peter would be happy too. Uh, Paul speaks of this kind of quality as well in a number of places, including Romans chapter 12, when he says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who who weep. That's getting alongside people and feeling with them and, and feeling into their experiences alongside them. And all of this is modeled on our great high priest, isn't it? Hebrews chapter 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, without, yet without sin. Jesus Christ, the great example of sympathy, knowing what it's like to be tempted to be in our position, we as fallen human beings. Let's comment then about sympathy. Then, thirdly, we have brotherly love. Now, this is not merely comradeship, it's not based on similarities of age or gender or social class or Shared hobbies or education. Brotherly, brotherly love is that family love. That comes from knowing that we are children. Of the same heavenly father. And brothers and sisters in Christ. Glance quickly with me at chapter 1 and verse 22. And you will see that Peter has already been. Um, speaking and writing about this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. So that you have sincere love For your brothers love one another deeply from the heart. For, he says, you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. It is out of our new birth in Jesus Christ. And as brothers and sisters in him, and children of our heavenly father, that Christian love, brotherly love, can begin to demonstrate itself. And let me remind you, too, that a world is watching. As we reach out in the community games, in Who Cares, in the holiday club, and reach out into the neighbourhood, people will watch. People will notice the kinds of relationship that we have with one another. By this, said Jesus, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Fourth, compassion. Now, the word compassion is one of those gut words. We, we would talk about a gut feeling, and that's very much what Peter has in mind here. Um, there's a very remarkable passage at the beginning of Mark's gospel in chapter, towards the end of chapter one, where Jesus uh, is, uh, meets a leper, and looking out on this man with leprosy, um, our version, the Testament Version, uh, says Jesus was moved with compassion. Same word as you find here. But in number of the oldest manuscripts of Mark's Gospel, it's actually got moved with anger. It's that strong. And many scholars uh, think that's actually the original reading. Now, Jesus wasn't angry with the man with leprosy. He healed the man. But angry perhaps at... The state that humankind has brought itself into, whereby we are living in such a fragmented and suffering world. Maybe it's something like that. But I'm simply trying to get over to the strength of feeling in these words, compassion and even in anger. Yes, Jesus was angry from time to time in a constructive and positive way. Filled with compassion, filled with anger at the heartache that humankind has brought upon itself. This compassion is a godlike, a Christ-like quality. As Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 4: be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And then fifthly, humility. The humble person is neither a shrinking violet nor a doormat. Jesus was a humble person, the most humble, but neither a shrinking violet nor a doormat. Humility is an attitude of thinking not too highly of ourselves and of putting the persons and needs of others before us. And Jesus exemplified that in many ways, including in washing his disciples' feet, didn't he? Where he said... To his disciples, in John thirteen, you call me teacher and lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. See Jesus is not putting himself down, he's not saying oh, none of these things that I am your teacher and Lord. Now that I, your teacher and lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. So that's just a little bit of unpacking, I hope, of these five qualities of living in harmony, of sympathy, of love as brothers, uh, loving as brothers, compassion and humility. But now I just want to move to a few uh, words of application. It seems to me that three kinds of knowledge are required if we are to develop these qualities, these Christian graces, as Peter, through the Holy Spirit, teaches and the first of these knowledges is, is to know ourselves. Do you know yourself? If you look at this verse and treat as a mirror, what do you see back? Because it seems to me that as Peter was writing this stuff, he was probably remembering what kind of person he was and had been. Did he, was he a, a congenitally humble person? When he said, even if everyone forsakes you, I never will. No, he's a proud, boastful man previously. Was he a sympathetic man when he, at the moment of crisis, ran away from Jesus and refused to share in the sufferings of his Lord? No, he went AWOL at the critical moment. I should imagine Peter, when he wrote down words such as <laughs> humility and sympathy, thought back to what he had been, What God's grace was now making him. May we ask ourselves, how do I fit? What are my strengths and weaknesses by God's grace? Where am I looking to develop these things? Let me simply ask you, do you regard yourself as uh, an outgoing person or a more reserved person? An introvert or an extrovert? You will have different challenges as well as opportunities posed to you by The challenge of these these qualities, depending on whether you find it easy to be amongst other people, or whether you find it more difficult. We need to know ourselves. Secondly, we need to know one another. These qualities presuppose that Christians will spend time, quality time, much time, in one another's company. Not just Sunday time, but other time as well. They presuppose that we will have meaningful relationships with one another. Take a family of four people. Mother and father both work full-time, one on day shifts and the other on night shifts. One of the children is out at boarding school and the other child lives full-time with his or her boyfriend or girlfriend. That family probably doesn't have a great deal of arguments because they never see one another. (laughs) But put those four people together and they would have to work at it. They'd find it difficult, but they'd have to work at their family love. And it's so with us. We can avoid contact with one another and so never fall out. But if you put us together, we are disparate, we are diverse people, there will be challenges, there will be difficulty, and we're called to work on that. And perhaps a particular danger with so many distractions in our own age is simply meeting together regularly. Are you in danger of getting out of the habit of regular attendance, rather regular gathering with God's people? Back in the New Testament days, the writer of the Hebrews was saying, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We cannot develop these qualities unless we spend time together with one another. Take a look, take a glance at the people sitting on your table. <laughs> Please <laughs> make a note of, uh, a mental note of who's there. And now ponder the following words of somebody called Geoffrey Paul. There is no way of belonging to Christ except by gladly and irrevocably belonging to that marvellous and extraordinary ragbag of saints and fatheads who make up the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Let's get on with it. Let's know ourselves. Let's know, get to know one another more deeply and more richly. And thirdly and lastly, let us get to know Christ. Christ. Christ urges togetherness by his teaching and he models it by his example. He empowers it by his saving work because he's given us new birth into a living hope through, the resurre- through his resurrection. And togetherness, as we've noted already, lies at the very heart of the Godhead. Again, I don't want to shoehorn the Trinity just because it's uh, Trinity Sunday, but did you notice, uh, are you aware, that right at the beginning... In uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, Peter is, uh, is showing where all of this comes from. Um, Chosen by the Father, made holy by the Spirit, and purified by the, love, by the blood of the Son. Finally, and this really is finally, it's not, I'm not halfway through, don't worry. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. And if we do so by God's good grace, we will give and bring astonishment to the angels. We will bring delight to our Heavenly Father. And we will bring conviction to a watching world. And it's to our witness to this sometimes uh, hostile and often sceptical world that we'll turn again as we, uh, uh, in two weeks' time, we return to some later verses of the same chapter. For the time being, let us pray. Gracious Father, much has been said, so much more has been left unsaid. Perhaps nothing new has uh, entered our ears, but Peter is keen for us to be reminded of the basic, fundamental necessity of outworking our faith in Jesus Christ by sharing his love with one another. And may it be our witness, a major part, a beautiful part of our witness, to watching world They will see us not constantly fail our master, but adorn his gospel of grace in every way. Amen.